Do you want to be the gold standard as a leader in your program? Do you want to understand what the five L's of leadership are? Then listen into Coach Mark Bliss from Prairie High School and learn how he, over several years, has manufactured state champion after state champion and engineered a 62-game win streak, simply through building relationships and keeping it simple. Coach Mark Bliss is going to be a great listen. Stay tuned and you'll be the leader that you want to be. All right, welcome to another episode of Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with my co-host, Dwayne Mathis. We have a special honored guest with us today, head coach Mark Bliss of Prairie High School. is kind enough to take time out of his busy schedule to talk about the concept of leadership and the things that he's been exposed to and learned and passed on in his uh, prestigious career. Uh, before we get going, Coach Mathis, I always ask, uh, how is it down there and uh Western, Western Iowa, I guess, or Central Iowa for you? Yeah, Central. West Des Moines, it's a beautiful day. Couldn't ask, uh, you know, for anything better. Finally, uh, you know, the rain rolled through yesterday, but uh, it's great uh, and, and very honored here to, to have an opportunity to sit with uh, Coach Bliss. So excited to, to get going. Yeah, and Coach Bliss, thanks again for joining us. How are you today in this beautiful day? Doing well. You're right. It is a beautiful day today, man. I, I, uh, I've got my wife and I'm fortunate enough this last week, we got our three-year-old little granddaughter decided she wanted to come and stay with Nana and Papa. So we've been busy the last few days and my daughter, my youngest daughter just showed up. I got four daughters and, and two of them oh. showed up today to come pick her up and they're going to take her back Sunday. And so it's been a fulfilling week and an opportunity to see my granddaughter, which I don't see hardly at all, except maybe three times a year. They live in Kansas City and, and us living up here in Cedar Rapids, we don't get a chance to go see them as much as we'd like. And, and particularly with the pandemic, the way it is, you know, we've been quarantining and just basically staying home all the time. So it's uh, it's it's been different, but it's been fun having the opportunity to at least see somebody besides my wife's face every day and my dog's face every day. So it's all good. And, and uh, you know, you know, heck, life is good. No complaints. And, and uh, you know, it's great to be alive. Yeah, well, that, you hit it on the head. Uh, and it's probably the same way in most houses. Uh, the wife's like, what are you still doing here? You know, <laughs> go, go, go be busy. Go work. Uh, I, hear I, I hear it all the time. She goes, you got anything yeah. I said, oh, I, I can't go to my office. I can't go to the weight room. There's a lot of things I cannot do. And it's just, you're stuck with me, you know? So, well, we're stuck with you for the next little bit. And so we're excited to do that. Coach, uh, before I really jump into your philosophy on leadership, um, can, can you talk about how you got to Prairie High School, some of your major influencers, um, you know, things that, you, that happened along the way to get to where you are? Well, I hope this doesn't bore you anything, but uh, never if I can do the best I can. But I, uh, I'm originally from the state of Oklahoma, guys, is where I'm from, and and uh, I've been in coaching now 33 years, and 20. This will be my 26th year as a head football coach, and and uh, you know I've I've been in several states in my career, and and uh, you know the the unique thing about it is that you know I tell people all the time I'm not afraid to admit it that God's blessed me more than I deserve uh, in this profession, and and. Uh, I've been very blessed to been a part of a lot of state championships and semifinals. And, and, you know, we, we've been fortunate enough to places I've been, we've been fortunate enough. We've been, been better than the previous predecessor, whoever that was, wherever that may have been. But, you know, I was one of those guys that, that, uh, that went to a high school in Oklahoma. Our head football coach was an Annapolis grad. He was a U.S. Naval Academy grad and very disciplined and structured and, and taught us a lot of things in life. And, and uh, that you don't realize until you're out and you hang up the uniform for good. And and uh, but he he taught me a lot of the, the a lot of the characteristics I still carry to me to this day as as a coach because he taught them to me as a player. And then I went on and played football. I played football at the University of Tulsa back in the John Cooper era. Um, was a Golden Hurricane and and uh, you know Coach Cooper was a was a great guy. And my favorite coach on that staff was my position coach uh, Larry Coker, which won a national championship at the University of Miami. And he uh, he was my position coach, and, and uh, up until a few years ago, uh, just lost track of him. But we stay in touch each other at least two to three times a year. And another coach on that staff was a guy by the name of Kirk Dahl, and Coach Dahl and I talked to each other all the time. And and uh, both of those guys went on and had phenomenal careers. And Coach Dahl was at Notre Dame for a very long time at Texas A and M during the RC Slocum era, and and had a ton of success. And and uh, but those two guys, when I was at the University of Tulsa, were very influential to me. And and then that staff up and left and, and took a job at Arizona State. And so myself, along with about 11 other guys, decided that the new coach coming in, we just 
we didn't feel very comfortable. So for me to maintain my eligibility, I had to transfer down. And so I transferred to a school in, in Kansas, southwestern Kansas, which was an NAI school where I wouldn't lose any eligibility. Put me about an hour and a half from home and played under a guy by the name of Charlie Cowdery. And Charlie used to be uh, used to be on the staff with Dan Devine at the University of Missouri, won a couple of Big 8 championships. And and Charlie was the head football coach in Illinois State for eight or nine years, had a lot of success there. And he was on the downhill side of his career when they convinced him to come out of retirement and wound up being the head coach at Southwestern during my tenure there. And and uh, we were in the national semifinals and perennial conference champs in the time my last two years there and learned a lot from him um, in reference to actually game planning and stuff that I had to do uh, for him and with him being the quarterback on his on his uh, teams. And, and uh, he was a huge influence on me as well. And and then when I got out of, uh, um, you know, I got out of uh, being uh, in college, I was offered an opportunity to be a college coach right out of college. And a majority of the people in my family are all in, you know, they're all either in highway patrol or police department or something of that nature. Or they're in the military. And so I was one of the few guys in my family on the mail end of things um, to go into coaching. And so, you know, at Christmas time, whenever I get together, I tell people, I said, it's, it's just really fun to hear all the the stories from the military and the police guys were, I'm sort of boring. I don't have a whole lot of exciting things to talk about unless we were fortunate enough to win state championships. But, but, uh, but anyway, that's sort of, sort of my background a little bit and stuff. And then um, was given the opportunity to be a college coach and was at McPherson college for a couple of years under a guy by the name of Dan Thiessen. And Dan was a very successful uh, junior college coach in California was offered a head coaching job in in uh, in in McPherson at McPherson, Kansas, and the Kansas CAC, which is the Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference, was under him for two years, and then was offered a job in in Austin, Texas, and uh, so I was in Austin, Texas for a couple of years, and got my first head coaching job in the state of Colorado. Um, my old high school coach, which I alluded to earlier. I uh, had a friend that became a superintendent in Los Angeles, Colorado, and they were looking for a head football coach. And so they called me and I went and interviewed for the job and took it and uh, was there for a couple of years. Then went back to Oklahoma for four years where I was the OC for two years at a school in Blackwell, Oklahoma. Then I was a D coordinator my last two years. And then I was offered the head coaching job in Conway Springs, Kansas, which is basically a bedroom or a suburb of Wichita. And I was there for seven years and uh, we were fortunate enough to, you know, won four state championships and won 62 games in a row and had a phenomenal amount of success. And we were in the semis for the years we weren't in the state championship game. We were in the semis and and uh, had a lot of success. And so that sort of, you know, sort of catapulted me to, the, to, to these better jobs. And people ask me why I ever left there. And to be honest, I could have stayed there the rest of my life. But unfortunately, you know, and it's not an unfortunate deal, but I got a wife and I got four daughters. And uh, when I told my players that I had an opportunity to go to Naples, Florida, the head football coach at a brand new high school. Well, that high school was brand new. It was opening up and it was in Collier County, which is one of the highest paid districts in the state of Florida. And uh, they offered me basically double my salary plus free insurance. Well, I'll be quite blunt with you. When you're making a little over 30000 a year and you're paying 700 a month for a family insurance policy with a wife and four kids, we're almost on food stamps. And I could have stayed at Conway the rest of my life, but, but uh, financially – I told my kids when we had our cry session for about an hour when I resigned that position and took the job down in Florida, I just explained to them that, you know, one of the greatest pleasures I had as a father was to wake up my two littlest girls, get them ready for school, brush their teeth, feed them breakfast and take on their day. And I just told them, I said, when you're putting the same clothes on your back for a second or third year in a row, that's not their fault. It was my fault. So I had to take a plunge and go somewhere where it bettered my family financially and especially insurance wise was with the way things are in our society today. And so I was down in Florida for a couple of years. And then my mother-in-law, my, my wife's grandfather was diagnosed with cancer and she wanted to come back. We were the farthest from the nest. And so we came back to the Midwest and I was in Kansas City for a couple of years. And I was in Edwardsville, Illinois, which is basically St. Louis on the, on the opposite side of the Mississippi, was there for four years, I believe. And then I was in... Uh, Ozark, Missouri. Uh, my mother-in-law had a second round of lymphoma cancer. And so my wife wanted to be closer to her mom, at least be closest because all her siblings were all right there. And we were the farthest from the nest. Once again, not only on my side of the family, but her side of the family. And so we moved to Ozark, Missouri that put us about three and a half hours from, from our hometown and allowed her the chance to go home and spend time with her mother or, or take trips with her down to Anderson uh, hospital there in Houston, Texas. You guys know where that is, where they go and do all the cancer research and, and all the cancer, uh, um, you know, uh, treatments and stuff that people go through for cancer. So it allowed us to do that. And we were there for four years and, and, um, 
then um, we started thinking about it. you sort of wake up one day and you start going, you know what? You know, I'm pretty close to retirement. So you start looking at your retirement situation. And with with my journeys that I've been in, uh, you start thinking, well, you know, we better start thinking about retirement. Well, a good friend of mine, which which I've known, his name is Jim Dostal. Jim is my defensive coordinator. And I've known Jim for about 26 years, 25 years. And, and his older brother, Randy, was my defensive backfield coach when I took the job down in Naples. And Jim was going to join us down there. But there was a job that was rescinded to Jim that initially was offered to him. And so he bowed out and stayed in Cedar Rapids and in which I don't blame him. I'd have done the same thing, but his brother stuck it out, hanged out there with us down in South Florida. And, and then Randy came back and started opening up uh, a business and started building homes in Cedar Rapids. And, and it's had a ton of success building homes. And, and, uh, but anyway, the, the deal with Jim is that we always wanted to coach together before we retired. And so when this job opened up, he just said, I don't know if you'll get it or not. Um, but he says, I think you ought to look at it. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll look at it. Well, when it come down to it, there were five guys for the job. There was a guy from Minnesota, a guy from New Jersey, two guys from Iowa, and me. And so when it was all said and done, I started thinking, well, they may not even look at me because I'm a little farther south. And they may not understand half the stuff I say because I still get teased about my twang once in a while when I get rampant. <laughs> so they uh, – um, anyway, eventually, as it worked out, I was offered the job here and. And uh, IPERS is, you know, is one of the most solvent retirement systems, not only in an eight state region, but within the last seven or eight years, as I researched it, um, one of the most solvent retirements in the country. And, uh, you know, with with having a retirement, I got a retirement in Kansas, but it's only 40 percent funded. Uh, Missouri's a little over 65 percent funded. So you start looking at some of these things as you get older in life. And my wife's a teacher as well. And so I decided that we would, you know, if it was offered to me, we would take it. We'd come to Iowa and and we've been here for next year will be our sixth year here, which is hard to believe it's already gone that fast. And and uh, we got one more year, then we can roll all of our retirement over from all our other states, even the state of Kansas, where we have a retirement in. We're rolling everything over to Iowa and uh, that will be know our money's in a safe place. And, and it's basically 100 percent or pretty close to 100 percent funded in comparison to places we've been. And and, you know, Illinois is bankrupt. So we took all of our money out of that place already. But anyway, it was, a, it was a decision to get the opportunity to coach with one of my closest friends before I retired in the retirement system in Iowa is, is two of the main reasons we came here. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're here. And like I said, we're going on our sixth year and, and uh, I've had some incredible experiences along my journey and, and uh, have no regrets. You know, I, the thing about it is that every job we've ever been blessed to have taken, we've left it better than what we found it. And that's something that I do recall my high school head coach always telling me when I got into coaching. He goes, always make sure you take jobs to where – you know, they might be very good jobs, but he says, but when you leave, you need to make sure they're better than what you found it. And and I've been very fortunate and blessed that everywhere we've gone, we've been, you know, playoff teams. And every once in a while, we might get lucky and make it to the semis and stuff. And we've only been to the quarterfinals here in Iowa. And, and uh, so hopefully at some point in time, we got some things in place where we feel good about our culture and where we're at that hopefully at some point in time that, you know, it'll, it'll be meant to be. And maybe the good Lord will bless us and let us go a little bit deeper than we normally do. Well, that's it, boys. I hope I didn't bore you too much. <laughs> no, not at all, it. Coach. <laughs> so obviously you're not afraid to pull a trigger and, you know, raise up stakes and, and take on a challenge of a new place. Can you kind of break down for our listeners, Coach, maybe do you have a checklist that you look at when you're looking at a school to go to, um, you know, to possibly be, you know, interested in you know because as much as it is they interview you you interview them as well to see if it's going to be a good fit so yeah Yeah. you know what i normally do is this guys that that and i'll you know sometimes there really is some truth to where your reputation precedes you and so with that being said i've been very blessed where i've had success as a head football coach and and so sometimes these jobs reach out to you if that makes sense And, and probably three of the jobs that i've been in for schools that reached out to me and I never even heard of them until I went and researched them on the internet. So then what I would do is I would go and I'd, I'd make a, you know, I'd go take a look and I'd research the program online the best that I could. And then, uh, then if they asked me to come in for a job, which three of these jobs literally reached out to me. So I went and interviewed. And so I check out facilities. Number one thing I check out is the weight room. I check out what they have in terms of who they have on staff. And, and, uh, and if I'm allowed to bring anybody with me, what kind of jobs are open, um, there's a lot of little intangibles. I do have a checklist that I go through when when uh, when I initially check out a job. And and uh, <laughs> one of my assistant coaches that I've had on staff, he's a very close friend of mine. His name is Dub Maddox. And if anybody does the R four system stuff or does the the, uh, the NFA academies, you know, Dub is is was on my staff down in Florida. And he's one of my best friends. And 
then just a funny dude. He goes, I've never been around a guy that's got a checklist for a checklist for a checklist. And so that's just me. As you get older, you need checklists even more than ever. But I'm one of those guys where I'm severe OCD and I got to make sure that everything's in place, everything's proper. And and so when I look at these jobs, I always want to make sure that they're, uh, you know, that they, they have the potential to be successful, put it that way. And so what I do is I just try to find out as much information as I can within that the confines of that job. And and then I sort of make a list and, and, uh, and to be blunt with you, I'll make a list and, and I'll give it to the administration when they're about to wind things down. And if they choose choose me as their coach, I say, hey, for me to be your coach, I got to have these five things or these seven things or these eight things or these three things. And if you can put those in place and put them in writing, then then I will definitely come and try to be your coach. And, and uh, you know, and I'll be blunt with you, a couple of jobs I've been at, they agreed, signed off, said, yeah, we'll do that. And after my first year there, they told me never to bring it up again. So I just went, okay. So when the opportunity presented itself, I just moved on because when it's all said and done, it's about integrity and character and, and you want to go to work every day feeling good about who the person is you're working for, whether it be your AD or your superintendent or your principal or whoever that is. And, and, uh, you know, for right now we're in a pretty good place and, and they pretty much fulfilled everything I've asked them to do. And, and as you guys know, we got a new multi-million dollar weight room. It was, uh, about 980 grand. They let me oversee the whole project of it being done. And, and it's just under a million dollars and it's unbelievable. And, I've had some D1 schools come through in the spring before we got shut down that had looked at it and they were just unbelievably amazed at what we had. And, and uh, so we got some neat things in place and in their prairie and, and uh, you know, with the bond issue that's passed, uh, we've re- basically redone our entire high school. And so facility wise, in comparison to the 4A schools, I know that we're in pretty good shape and, and then they've allowed me to hire and, and whoever I wanted to for my staff and inherited about three or four guys and, the other 11 guys are people that I've hired, you know, whether it be volunteer or actually being able to be given the opportunity to hire them uh, for a job within our, within our campus or within our district. So, so things are in place here, and, but that's, that's probably one of the biggest things that I do as a head football coach is, is the assistant coaches are huge and, and they're definitely the catalyst or the backbone of, of how you're going to be perceived as a head football coach because they got to know their stuff. And, and so uh, with that being said, I, I see who they got on staff and I'm about to inherit some coaches. I meet with them face to face and and uh, try to find out in terms of dialogue how much they know and what they don't know and and uh, see if they'll be a right fit or not. And there's been a couple places I've gone to where I've taken some guys where I just went, uh, how in the heck this guy was even at that position, you know, on a varsity staff. But I would try to do it from a professional standpoint and basically say, hey, I think you would be better fit to be at this level. And and thankfully, you know, places I've been, guys have been receptive to it and, and they've, uh, you know, they've been willing to do what I've asked them to do. And and uh, the rest is, you know, sort of takes care of itself. But but that's sort of what I do with jobs and stuff, Dwayne, if that answers your question. Yeah. I, one, of, one of the things that uh, on a previous podcast with Tom Wilson, who, you know, very successful coach and in his own right at, at uh, Dowling Catholic, uh, talked about it. That really struck a chord with me that I thought was just a pretty powerful uh, statement. Uh, and Tim and I have talked about it afterwards is that if, you know, if you don't have an administration that you're confident in that is going to support you, he's like, you better update your resume. Yeah. And so, I mean, d- do you actually look at I mean, research the administration or school board or any of those things when you're looking at taking a job? You know, a lot of things, you know, I live, you know, Tim knows me. I'm a man of faith and I live by faith. And a lot of times and stuff is I go on these job interviews and and I try to get as much of a feel for those people that are interviewing me as possible. Most of the time, it's basically the people you're going to be working for on a daily basis. And if they can look in the eye and tell you this is what we're going to try to do and and, uh, you know, I try to get that feel, you know, it's just that vibe of, of making sure it felt right. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those guys where I don't make the decision immediately. It's one of those things where I go home and I pray about it. I think about it. I sleep about it, share everything with my family, because the thing about it is that, you know, I got four daughters and, and I'm going to be one of you guys. I got four daughters that all graduated from four different high schools. So that's one thing that a lot of guys can say something about. It. I go, you know what? My, my kids never got a chance to grow up in one home in a small town. Now, we could have probably stayed in Conway Springs the rest of our lives and all would have graduated from there. But, you know, like I tell, you know, uh, tell people I wouldn't have the son-in-laws I've got. You know, I wouldn't have the grandkids I got if it weren't for us moving to certain places. Because the thing about being the head football coach, a lot of my daughters, uh, guys were scared to ask them out on dates. So put it that way. So I got I got one daughter that's married to a former player of mine, one of the best young men you could ever ask for. So when he asked her, asked me for her hand in marriage, I was just so excited and elated. But if I wouldn't have been in Odessa, Missouri at that time, 
uh, you know, my granddaughter would never happen and my daughter wouldn't have met her husband. So, you know, I know through walking your journey in life or, you know, the thing about it is it's all about faith and those people that you, you got to work for in reference to your administration. I don't, I don't really research them per se until after the job interview. Then after the job interview, I think about it, pray about it. And then if I think something just doesn't feel right, then what I will do is I'll try to find, I talk to the previous head coach, which I've done that on a couple of jobs. And if they said, no, 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 it's just, I had a chance to move on to something better or whatever. Well, if, if then if there's something that, you know, that's going on behind the woodwork that you're not familiar with, uh, sometimes those guys will be willing to share that with you. And there's been some jobs I've turned down where I just went, ah, I want to pass. And it was because some of the, you know, you talk to some of the previous coaches or as you know, the, the fraternity of coaching, uh, it's a pretty small world. And you know, the fraternity, you know, a guy who knows a guy, you know what I'm saying? So you keep that in mind. And you reach out to those people as well, and you try to get as much feedback as you can on jobs. And and uh, that's sort of where, you know, as you get older in life and you've been in this profession long enough, probably about after year 20 is when I started going, you know what, I'm going to be a little more articulate, a little bit more particular, and, and uh, you know, try to be as savvy as I can to, to make sure that I'm the right fit for the job. Not only that I'm the right fit, but they're the right fit for me. So, you know, just right. things fall into place, you know. So That's great, Coach. Yeah. Coach Bliss, as you as you come into programs and you're around programs, you've obviously had a lot of experience with lots of different mentors. What have you developed as your non-negotiables for your program? Is it fluid, or is it something that this is this is who our or what our program is going to be about? Well, the thing about it is, I do have a, you know basically you always try to find core values as you know every program that's sort of the thing anymore. Is, Everyone's got core values. Well, the thing about core values have been around for me since probably 1997 when I when I took my first head coaching job where I actually got serious about it and, and, and invested everything, every every minute of my life into it just to build something. And like I said, we built a pretty good dynasty, you know, there in, in Conway Springs, outside of Wichita. And, and uh, you know, you do, you have certain, certain things that you hang your hat on and stuff. And I know that a lot of ours um, is, is relevant to uh, – relationships and not only with your players, but with your coaches. And, and that is huge for me because, you know, loyalty is a very crucial factor in this profession, especially if you're going to expect them to work long hours and, you know, put in a lot of time and, and, and it's still got to be fun. And, and that's one of the things that we relay to our kids all the time. Like I said, I think we built a really unique culture here at Prairie. Our kids are excited to go to workouts at six 30 in the morning. They don't seem to be buzzed about it. And some of those kids that come in late, they do, they already know the routine to go do their, their push-ups and do their, whatever's assigned for that day through coach Bass and other kids oversee it and make sure they get it done. And there's a lot of accountability. And so what's really, really cool about being a head football coach is that when you think you've got all these little intangibles in place and all, all the structures in place to sit back and let go of the reins a little bit and just see if it flows. And we've been fortunate enough at three places I've been where we've had a ton of success um, where those kids, they bought in, you know, buying in is a huge thing as you guys know uh, from every conceivable level, not only your varsity program, but all the way down through your feeder programs and they got to believe in what you're doing. And so what we do is we sell a piece of what we do varsity wise to our, to our freshman program, to our junior high program, our Metro youth programs, they take and they adapt, you know, some stuff that we do maybe playbook wise, but also some of our little traditions that we do. And I think it's really unique and fun to watch. And, and uh, so that's very crucial to me. And uh, you know, the thing about it is that we do have a thing that we call the gold standard. And, and uh, it's, it's a, a thing that I got from a buddy of mine in Oklahoma, you know, as we know, as coaches, we, we beg, steal and borrow anything we can get from anybody and everybody. Well, that gold standard basically stands for, uh, you know, it's an acronym. The G stands for gratitude. The O stands for ownership. The L stands for two things. It's leadership and love. And then the D stands for discipline. And those are sort of our core values. And, and those are sort of the pillars of what we try to go by. And, and then we got another thing we called FOE, which is family over everything. And so on our T-shirts and everything we have in our weight room, um, anything in my office, you'll see a lot of the things even are, are apparel uh, somewhere, some way, we'll have it maybe be real small, but it says FOE, and everybody in our program knows what that stands for. Um, and so, you know, I, I, you know, the thing about it is that you, as coaches, you research and and you always try to find every year. You try to find ways to make yourself better. And heck, I'm probably like you guys. I bet I've watched 35 to 40 webinars this year and and Zoom things just to see if there's a nugget or two you can take away to implement within your program and. And, uh, you know, we try to do that. And then there's the other, the, what I call the five L's. If you're a, when I take our seniors on our senior leadership retreat, um, 
I emphasize, I always go first and I let my coaches go last, but we always, every one of my staff does a PowerPoint. And then what we do is we're all given 15 to 20 minutes to, to, uh, uh, basically relay the importance of ship or the importance of leadership and discipline and character and all those little intangibles that go into being a successful program and more importantly being a successful man in life and so we do that with our players and and I always you know when I in my speech and stuff what's really cool is that we, we do it at our senior leadership retreat and I assure my seniors that you're going to blink and our seniors are going to be over with I said I can promise you I guess never failed me in any senior class I've ever spoken to. So then at the end of our season, when we turn in all of our gear, we do an exit survey with our seniors. And what's really cool is that they remember what I call the five L's. And the five L's are Lord, live, learn, love, and leave a legacy. And that's why I preach to my guys all the time. And, and uh, you know, the thing about it is I know we're in a day and age, and I, and I know Coach Dostoy tells me, hey, you're in a very liberal state. I know that. Oh, you can't, you know, I'm just scared for you talking about God all the time. I'm like, you know what? If I get fired for being a Christian, then good luck. I'll I'll move on. I'll I'll do what I got to do. So I I do that and the kids know that. And, uh, you know, I, they know how I am and how I stand and how I feel. The one thing about it is that kids know if you're a phony or not. And so I am who I am. And if they love me, great. If they don't, then God bless you. and, And, you know, you move on. But our kids know what the five L's are. And so those are basically sort of the pillars of, of some of the things that we, that we implement within our program. And obviously discipline is a very crucial factor in all that, because if you have the discipline to do all those other things that we talk about, then obviously, you know, when it's usually a byproduct of that. And that's just my opinion. So I hope that answered your question, guys. For sure. That's excellent, Coach. I, in fact, uh, I love the FOE. You know, I've never heard that one before, and uh, you know that might show up on a Nottaway Valley shirt here next can, this fall. Coach, you're more than welcome. And I'll be honest with you. You know uh, what I do? What <laughs> sort of Gus Malzahn is the head football coach at Auburn, and Gus and I have known each other about 17 years, 18 years, and we were winning state championships about the same time. We we're on a clinic speaking cert together back in the early 2000s. And I caught the very telling. I already given my speech, and I caught the very telling one of his something about this was his version of the single wing offense. As you guys know, we run a version of the single wing, and and so I decided, you know what? I just want to see what this guy's got. Well, I didn't get a chance to see a whole lot of what he had, so we made a we made a deal. We'd start swapping out highlight films, and so I would send him my highlight films, and he would send me his from Springdale, Arkansas, and he actually sent me some stuff from when he was at Shallow Christian as well. And we've utilized some of the stuff that he does. And uh, as he's moved him way up, you know, he, he started out at Hughes, Arkansas as a head football coach, making 22000 a year, being a, a coach in two sports and a teacher. And now he's making $7.25 million a year, which is unbelievable. But I still talk to him about once a month. And, and uh, when he took the job at Auburn, he offered me an offensive analyst job. And I said, if I didn't have three kids in college and I was in my 20s, I would jump at it. But I'm at the tail end of my career. And I said, when I'm done, if you still got a gig, brother, I said, I'll come and hold your headphones for you. You don't have to pay me about <laughs> So, you know, he's been very good to me and probably one of the greatest prize possessions I got. There's a picture of Gus up here, but right in front of it is a picture of the 2010 National Championship game. And, uh, and Gus, the thing about Gus is that he is an unbelievable man of faith. And he is as kind and as gentle and as good a man as you could ever ask for. And uh, he's one of those guys that you'd love to be around all the time because he's just that way. But he's also one of those guys that truly believes in loyalty. Whether if he's winning or losing, uh, I was always there for him, and I'd always shoot him texts or we'd call each other on the phone. And, and I remember in 2010 when they beat South Carolina for the SEC championship game, they were going to play for the national championship. And I remember him getting a hold of me about just under midnight, just below before midnight, and asked something about if we wanted to go. And, and I said, heck, yeah. I said, if I can afford it, brother, I'll go in a second. He goes, I didn't ask you to afford it. I just want to know if you want to go. I said, yeah, I'd love to go. And so he goes, oh, Christy is his wife. He goes, Christy, I'll let you know. Hopefully by Tuesday or Wednesday, once the picture's a little bit clearer, I'll let you know. Well, I had a chance to go to, to Arizona and watch a national championship game when they had Cam Newton and all those guys. And I sat up there with Gus's wife and, and uh, his, his family and, and had a chance on the 35-yard and watch him win a national championship game. And, and uh, that's something I'll never forget. All I had to pay for was a plane ticket. That was it. So I wow. $104 for a plane ticket and got a chance to go watch a national championship. And and I remember after the game, it was uh, I didn't get to see him till it was like two hours after the game. But getting a chance to talk to him, he goes, not bad for a little old ball coach from Arkansas, huh? <laughs> so, you know, you got to start somewhere. And he started there and he's worked – obviously he's worked his way up. But, you know, he's also been a huge influence of mine. And, and uh, I've taken a lot of stuff from him as well, you know, within his program and stuff, sort of the stuff that he does. 
in terms of structure, not only from a practice standpoint, but just from some of the things that he goes through. And, you know, like the senior leadership thing, we I, I borrowed some of that stuff from him uh, back in the early 2000s, and I've never stopped. And, you know, as, you, as I alluded to earlier, you always take stuff from guys that you think will benefit and fit into your program and, and uh, you know, help you be successful in some facet. And, and that's sort of what I've done. So. So, Coach, um, you know, you, you alluded to this a little earlier that, you know, obviously during this pandemic, we've all been on probably, you know, 50 or 60 Zoom calls or little workshops or whatever. Is there ever, I mean, does it ever pop into your head like, let's not stray too far from from where we are? And, you know, is, is this too much? Are we doing too much, you know, in the sense of trying to, you know, we reinvent the wheel kind of deal. I mean, I'm just interested in that because I know, you know, I'm a huge fan of what you've done, you know, since I've become to, you know, know you at Cedar Rapids Prairie in the sense of everyone said before you came in there, like, oh, the single wing can't be ran at the 4A level here in Iowa. You know, that's, that's small, small school ball here in Iowa stuff. You can get away with that. And you've, you've proven that wrong. And I think that's more of an, uh, you know, in the sense of the culture that you have there is that you've established that and that you've built upon that and really you've proven that you can run any type of offensive philosophy as long as your kids buy into it. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just curious to what your opinions are on that. Well, you know, the thing about offensively and stuff is that I agree with coach and what you said earlier, Dwayne, is that I've had some people tell me the same thing. You can't run at the biggest level and in, uh, in the state of Iowa, well, you know, the thing about it is that I used to be the head football coach at Edwardsville, Illinois. It's a school of 3,300 kids. So it was one of the larger high schools in the state of Illinois. We ran it and had a lot of success. And, and it's not really – you know, the thing about what we do offensively is we're very unorthodox and we're different. And I'll be very blunt with you is that places I've taken where we were not very good and we've been fortunate to flip it and, and turn around quickly, a lot of it happened to do with the offense because it's unorthodox, it's different, it's not conventional. And uh, then you add on top of that some of the other stuff that we do with between our gimmicks and the shifts and the motions and and the the, the formations. We do some really bizarre stuff formation wise too. And the thing about it is our kids they've embraced it and they love it. Um, and you know, like I told our kids, you know, everyone laughs at us because we're different, but we laugh at them because they're all the same. So you're, all you're seeing is spread guys about everywhere. And you know the thing about me is that. I just want to make sure that that what we do, our kids embrace it and they have fun and they relish in the moment. And, uh, you know, the thing is, our kids, I've been so blessed in places I've been where the kids do. And so when you got people saying you can't do it, sometimes that's sort of that fire that lights you up as well. You know, it sort of puts a fire under your britches to, to crank it up a notch and, and prove to them, yeah, it, it can work. And a lot of our kids have proven a lot of people wrong. And, and like I said, with it being different, our kids, we've taken – and I'll be blunt with you, and anybody that knows Prairie, we're not blessed with the most amount of talent. Never have. You know, we've got our moments where we might have one or two very good key kids that we can, you know, rally around and do some things with. Um, and then beyond that, we're just just a bunch of good high school football kids. We don't have any – we haven't had any D1 kids since I've been here. We've had a couple of D2. The rest of them have been NAI or D3. Haven't had any, you know any franchise kind of guys, and this year is our first year that I've had a Division One kid offered, and that was the Burkle kid that we have at tight end. He's only a sophomore, but he's six seven, two thirty five, and can run a four eight. And he was our second leading receiver last year and had five touchdowns. And now everyone's seen him, and he's got offers from four schools, and he's about to get his fifth from Vanderbilt. And um, he's the only one we've had in the five years I've been here. And so with that being said, we've taken a lot of just decent to average high school kids and have averaged 37 points a game in five years. You know, we added it up. I have a, one of the coaches on my staff gives me all these stats. I'm too old to understand a lot of this technology stuff. So I just say, hey, what's what's been our average for the five years we've been here? Well, it's like 37.2 points a game. Well, that's not bad for, you know, a bunch of guys from Prairie High School So uh, with what we've had. So our kids have bought in. They understand the system. And, and uh, you know, that's that's just – to me, that's very important. The buy-in is is so huge. And if you don't get the buy-in, then, you know, it is what it is. You, you know, that's when you probably – once again, you might update your resume if the kids don't buy in and, and the parents don't buy in. But but we've been fortunate enough where uh, we've got some things in place here and, and uh, very proud of where we're at and what we're doing. And, and our underclassmen, we've been blessed. Our underclassmen have lost three games in four years, and, and uh, we've got a very solid group of kids coming up. So uh, hopefully that's a good sign for us in the future. Do you think that – Though that coaches that when you see them hopping on these zooms, though that do you think that uh, is it ever the thought cross your mind that 
all right, this is just getting to be too much. I mean, and and not saying that you don't want to have a growth mindset, but I mean, you have to stick to your foundations and your core of who you are as and what you run as a program. So why do we have to stray so far? I mean, you know, the thing about it for me, Dwayne, honestly, is that I'm always open um, because, you know, we, we call what I call the triangle offense. So the triangle, the pinnacle, the triangle is our single wing. But in the two bottom corners is spread in what I call hybrid twins, which is basically Gus's stuff, what Auburn runs. And, and I've done that now probably for about 17, 16, 17 years maybe, if I'm guessing on top of my head. So I, I learned a long time ago, you do what you do. Um, that's one of my favorite things when I go into these clinics. And I'll be honest with you, the only time I ever go into offensive clinics is, is, uh, is if I think there's something in the passing and we can find a couple of concepts to hang our hat on to make it, you know, uh, beneficial to our, to our players, but also to our quarterback. And, and so that's basically all I go to clinics for. The other thing is that nobody's anything like us. And so, you know, you're not, you're rarely ever going to go in and see single wing guys. And when you do, a lot of times, like at those Glacier clinics, it's the Rick Darlington guy, you know, which Rick came to me in 2006 when I was in Kansas city and, Stayed three days with us, ate a lot of enchiladas with my wife, cooking meals for us, and gave him a lot of stuff. And he took it back to Florida to a popkin, and then the rest is history. And now he's a he's a staple in the clinic speaking circuit for Glacier. And he he does, you know, he came and took what he wanted from me and went and added it to his stuff. So he went and made it his own. And, and that's probably one of the biggest things I could tell people is you do what you do. And when you go to these clinics and stuff or watch these webinars, if you pick up a nugget, any, any little nugget to help – uh, benefit your program or benefit you as a coach, it's worth it. And to be honest, a lot of the stuff that I've watched and stuff doing is more program organization. You know, just uh, just anything that I think can uh, help us work smarter instead of longer, if that makes sense. That's sort of been the focal point. Because I'll be honest, like I've told guys, I've already had, and, and I will tell you, this might help answer your question anymore. I've had more guys ask me, hey, have you ever thought about changing offenses? No, I haven't. To be honest with you, I've, I've never thought about changing it. And I said, to be honest, I'm almost too old. I've done this since 1993. I've run this offense. So I go, I don't know if I could actually literally just dump it and go learn something else. And, you know, if you were 0 and 10 or 2 and 8 every year, that might justify maybe some reasons. But it's been so good to me over the, the years that I've run it. Uh, you know, basically about 30 years I run this offense. It's it's pretty hard to put away something that's been successful. And, and uh, you know, so with that being said, I – you do what you do. And, and, you know, I, have watched all these webinars and the majority of them have been, you know, either on a passing game concept that might benefit us in the passing game more than the running game or, uh, um, you know, uh, something from a program organizational aspect that, that might allow us as a coach. Uh, coach, the big, uh, nouveau term in, in coaching now is culture. And, and really, we've, we've talked a little bit about how you do that with your senior uh, leadership program. But we, we know that leaders really drive the culture and, and culture is really behavior that gets results. And how do you push your vision down into your uh, coaches who then push it down into their place? Because you alluded to it right early in the podcast that your coaches are the most important piece in, in funneling that down. I, I call it owning your 20s. Square feet. I got that from Tim Kite. I just love that. Uh, own that 20 square feet. So your vision, players' vision for the program, the coach's vision for how they see it going, how do you meld all that together, push it down so you live that gold standard? You know, the thing about it is like when, when I become a head coach, when I actually have my staff in place, whether it's guys I've hired or guys I've brought aboard that, that, I've, that I've known or guys I've actually taken, I've taken some guys with me in previous jobs I've been at because they begged to go with me. And that means a lot to me, meaning that they really enjoyed the, the, the process and the experience of being on my staff. So there's been some jobs where I've been fortunate. I've been able to take guys with me that I've had before, and that makes it even easier. But when you take over a new staff, you know, the biggest thing about it is that, that you, you, you know, make sure that they understand the importance that I'm going to throw a lot on their plate and then I'm going to find out what they can and cannot do. And then that's going to reverberate back to me. And then what I do is I sit back and I try to process all of it and find out what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then I try to, to uh, you know, basically try to make sure that I cater more to their strengths than their weaknesses, if that makes sense. So then whatever I think their weaknesses are, I either I take it upon myself or I might delegate it to another coach on staff. But eventually we try to take all those moving parts and all those pieces of the puzzle and put it together. 
and try to mesh and jive and, and make yourself a, a compatible and, and, and a good staff, which, you know, we've been fortunate enough here at Prairie. Some of the guys have bought into what I've, what I've done. And, and like you said, you've got to, you got to paint a very pretty picture. You, you, you know, you've got to sell your program and sell who you are as an individual and, and uh, hope that some of those guys buy into it. And I'm going to be blunt with you. A couple of places I've been, guys don't buy into it. Then basically I don't hire them back the next year. And uh, it's one of those things where it's almost like your players, you know, the kids are going to play are the ones that buy in the most and work the hardest. It's almost, you know, like I've told our staff a million times that the, the perfect example of teamwork is the coaching staff to where if you do everything you're asked to do and we do it cohesively, our kids see it and they, they live it every day with us. And if you do what you're asked to do as a staff and there's loyalty among it and you make it fun, kids are going to, you know, basically kids are going to feed off of that and it sort of trickles down into them. And, and I do, I delegate and I give, I give my coaches some flexibility and I'm not one of those guys that's a micromanager. And if I see something blatant that I think's not getting done, then I address it. And it's usually with that coach behind closed doors. I don't do it in front of kids. I think that's very irresponsible, very unprofessional. Uh, so we try to rectify things if there's anything that's going on behind closed doors. Um, but then in the end, you know, those guys understand. I said, you're the head coach of your group. So if I coach wide receivers, I'm the head coach of the wide receivers. And you better make them the best thing wide receivers you can possibly make them. And, and, and I take that, you know, in every position that we have as a staff. And and I try to preach that to my coaches. And then I'll be honest with you, a lot of them have embraced it and they've taken ownership in it and have done a great job. And then like, the thing about it is that if they do what they're supposed to do and they preach it to the kids – then when you see all those, like I said earlier, when you see all those pieces of the puzzle together, you know, whether it be your coaching staff or the program itself and your team, it's really fun to sit back and let go of the reins a little bit when you think you're into it. And usually about two or three years into it's when I sort of, if I think that they bought in and they know what it's about and they understand the expectations, not only from a coaching standpoint as a staff member, but also from a player standpoint, those are probably one of those, it's, it's euphoric. And uh, you talk about endorphins cranking is when you sit back and you see your program run fluidly and you don't have to say as much or do as much as you've done in the past. And, and uh, like I said, I've been fortunate in my career where there was a time where we won 62 games in a row and uh, uh, we had like the second longest winning streak in the history of Kansas high school football. And, uh, and during that era, unbelievable coaches and unbelievable kids. And like I tell people, I've told all my former friends that if you win one state championship, I can almost guarantee you're going to win more. Because when the kids get that taste in their mouth and when your staff gets that taste in their mouth, they don't ever want to relinquish that feeling. And once again, it's a euphoric experience. And until you've won one, it's hard to explain until you've won it. But when you do, you just go, man, this is unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you blank and it's time to get ready for another season. And you got to put all that behind you. Now the, the thing is that you've got a bullseye on the front of you and behind you. What are you going to do? And uh, so it's, it's one of those things where I tell kids this all the time and I tell my staff all the time. You know, sports is about pressure, and it's a matter of how you handle pressure. And I tell our kids all the time, especially when we go into big games and stuff, where we've beaten some teams that, I'll be blunt with you guys, we had no business being on the field with them. Or we barely got beat by some teams that, like two years ago, playing Cedar Falls, that played in the state championship game, and they should have won it. Uh, they should have beat Dallas and stuff, but they beat us 28-21, and our kids battled. I mean, they battled the whole dadgum game and were unbelievable. And we didn't have a business being on the field with them. And I was so very proud of that moment. Even though we may have lost the game, it's one of the most proudest moments as a coach because our kids didn't shy away. They weren't afraid, and, and they competed in the battle for 48 minutes. And and uh, and that's when you sit back and you just go, you know what? I think our kids have – I think we're there. And so I'm hoping the biggest thing is just maintaining it, you know. And, and at some point in time, it's all going to click in reference to how far we can go into the playoffs. And as we know, you know, injuries and timing and scheduling, there's a lot of intangibles that go into place. A lot of things that got to get put in place. but at some point in time, we're going to have fun. So we're going to be deeper than the quarterfinals. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like what we do. And, and our kids, like I said, if our assistants can feed that to our kids, then nothing but great things are going to happen. So, Coach, you, you talked about, you know, your coaches, you know, and letting them be the head coach of their, their position groups that they coach. But how do you kind of going down even further, how do you get the players – to be accountable to what you're asking them to do in your program? Is it through the leadership program that you do with your seniors and, and they are more hands-on or, or how, how would you say you go about doing that? You know, I think it's a combination of both where our assistants are responsible to make sure the kids learn what they're supposed to learn. 
but we also take our seniors and once in a while I'll take our seniors aside and I'll visit with them. If I don't like what I see, if I don't think we're where we need to be, I'll address the entire team. But there's sometimes where I'll address seniors in their position groups where if I don't think our linebackers are scraping hard enough or doing certain things, you know, my coaches, they're on them and all that stuff. But all in the end, the kids have got to be the ones that want to do that. And sometimes I tell our kids the greatest pressure there is is peer pressure. And so, you know, we can say as coaches and doing anything we want as coaches, but in the end, ultimately the kids, you know, sometimes the, the hardest results are when kids are harder on each other. And so with that being said, sometimes I lean on our senior class maybe more than I should, but those seniors are in the end, you know, if whatever their position groups are, you know, they're responsible to make sure those kids are giving full effort and uh, doing the things that we ask them to do. And, and, uh, and then sometimes one of the coolest things I love to watch also is when a kid is really struggling, but one of the biggest encouragers are those seniors. And then your underclassmen feed off those seniors. And uh, we've had three uh, unbelievable senior classes in a row where uh, it all started with our 2016 team. And we were state quarterfinalists. We led state in scoring and did some neat things that year with our kids and uh, had almost 5,000 yards in total offense. Unbelievable experience. Those kids were just very marginal, talented high school kids, but they had incredible hearts and they were incredible workers. And, and, and they're the ones that have established the culture of what we expect in the weight room and what we expect on the field. And so when you see juniors and sophomores, see how they do it, it sort of feeds off onto them. And then when they're seniors the next year, you're hoping by, by you know, just by actually watching it uh, happen from the previous year that it sort of feeds into you and it becomes part of your, you know, your, uh, you know, sort of your culture to where kids make each other accountable and they encourage each other to do what's right. And, and uh, it's sort of fun to watch. It's sort of cool to see, Coach. Coach Bliss, uh, you, you, you're obviously a man of faith and you love football and you're a family guy. Everyone talks about that big word balance, and I, I like to think, you know, that there are seasons that we have to adjust to, as opposed to getting that perfect balance, because it's never going to be perfect. Um, how do you how do you handle that commentary? You know, proper work life balance, because as a football coach, you know, there are seasons when you are just not nearly as available. Correct. Now you know. You're probably one of the, the biggest regrets I have in life, Tim, especially when I was a younger coach. You know, being a head coach in your mid-20s to late-20s, and and uh, and you've made that decision. I'm going to be the very best football coach that I can be, and, and your goals uh, are to be a Division One coach or whatever it may be at that time. But my biggest thing is that I want to be the very best version of myself that I can be. And with that being said, I spent an amount of time in my office and you know at Conway when we did win that first state championship um then you're thinking oh god now the pressure don't win a second so I tried to take all the pressure and put it by myself and alleviate a lot of that from my staff and my players and still try to come out where sometimes as a coach you got to be an actor and try to make it fun well during those times there's probably about a two or three year span where I literally spent you know I'd spend 15 16 hours a day sometimes 17 hours a day there was times I remember working in the off season until midnight because the janitors were getting off off duty when I was leaving and they'd wave at me and say hi to me. And mm. it's amazing how you can find things, do stuff. Well, probably one of the biggest regrets I have is the time away from my children. I got four girls and they're the most important thing in my life is all your children are. That's the coolest thing about being a parent. But there was about a three or four year span where I didn't spend a lot of time with my kids and my wife is an incredible mother. And, uh, and she, basically raised our kids for about three or four years and the the greatest elation I got was after we won a state championship to hold that trophy and then all my wife and kids come in and we take pictures and then that's why we'd be hanging in my office and stuff and and then there was a time I don't know when it was but there was a time when I think it was right after we left Florida and came back and the emphasis on family really hit home with me and you know we lived in Naples Florida and we were 15 minutes from the beach and my wife and kids would go to the beach every day and I'd go to work every day and I remember my wife telling me, she goes, what is amazing is that we've lived in Florida almost two years and you've never hardly ever been to the beach. And I started thinking, yeah, you're right. And the thing about it is I keep trying to tell her, it's just the pressure of, you know, Florida's in the South. And if you've ever coached in the South, a lot of them are teacher coach contracts. So it's a lot like college where if you don't win, you get fired. It's pretty simple. And so with that being, you know, in the back of your mind, the farther steps in your mind, you start thinking, okay, I got to keep working. So that's what I would do. I'd find anything that I could do to work. And I would deprive my family. Well, for some reason that night that she said that, I said, that is an amazing thing that I've been in Naples, Florida, which is one of the most beautiful places you could ever go to and live in. And I've hardly ever been to the beach or spent time with my kids. And so after we made the move back to the Midwest, 
is when I made a concerted effort where I was going to work smarter, not longer. And so that's when, honestly, you know, Tim and Dwayne, that's when I started researching, how do you get away with, with not working, you know, 16, 18 hours a day during football season? So you try to find these things and, and try to find those nuggets that are going to allow you to work smarter, not longer, and, and to make sure that you find that balance with your family. And that's probably the advice I can give to young coaches, because in the end, I can promise you that I, that's a guilt that I have to live with the rest of my life is not spending those three to four years with my little girls when they were little. And now that they're grown adults, my youngest one's 22 and, or she's going to be 22 in August. And, and to know that I didn't spend three or four years of my life with them as much as I should have as a father, is something I have to live with. And, you know, you try to make it up in the end, which I still try to do to this day. We still do family vacations together every year and I pay for everything, whether it be a cruise or, or going to Naples, we still go back to Naples because eight of my 16 coaches I hired down there, I'll still live down there. When I said, "Hey, you coming back?" No, I'm. I'm not going back to Indiana. I'm not going back to Minnesota or what you know, Michigan. <laughs> I said, "I understand." <clears throat> Excuse me, but anyway, it is what it is. But that's probably the biggest thing: is balance is very, very crucial and huge, especially to avoid burnout. And you know, the thing about it is that with some of the expectations today, as we know, the sport itself is different than what it was when I started in 1988. And uh, high school sports have almost become just about as, as powerful as, as college sports to a certain degree to where if you don't succeed to an extent, then they find ways to get rid of you. And it's unfortunate because in the end, it should be about how you impact players and how you impact young men and make them better for society and better citizens. And a lot of that uh, gets thrown under the rug, you know, in my opinion, in, in some schools and some parts of the country. And, and uh, you know, hopefully in the end, it's still about relationships and, and, and being great role models for young men and, and being the very best man you can be because you want them to be great fathers and great husbands. And, and uh, you know, it's those things that you do. And, and there's, there's a lot of pressure in, in trying to be that kind of a guy for those kids, but it's a fun pressure, if that makes sense. So, you know, the fun pressure, like I tell, I've even told this to our players, the greatest pressure in the world is fun pressure. And then they ask what that means. I go, well, fun pressure is when you're one in seven, eight, nine games a year, and you're always in the hunt every year. How would you have to be a team that had won a game in four years? That's not fun. Mm -hmm. That's pressure. It's trying to find a way to get a win where you're in a position where this is fun pressure. You're expected to win. There, I go, there's a reason why there's TVs here and you're on the game of the week, you know, about every three weeks or the game. Of the week. There's a reason because you're doing great things. You're doing good stuff. And this is fun pressure. Well, it's the same as being a coach there. You got to have, you know, that balance is trying to make sure that it's fun and uh, make sure that the pressure you have, it's, it's a fun pressure. And that's sort of where I'm at the stage of my career where it's fun. So. So, so coach, can you talk about, your own personal feeling on the value of football in society? Well, I tell you what, the, the, probably the one thing that pops into my head right now is, uh, you know, with what we're going through and, you know, one of the coolest things is being an American is seeing all the underlying work that people are doing to help each other out. And, and, and just the pride that exudes in your heart, just to see what are happening to the people that are finding ways to, to fundraise and to feed the poor and to feed the people that have lost their jobs and to go out of their way to, to make sure we take care of each other. And that is so freaking unbelievable. And, and I think that is the coolest thing about being an American. And, uh, you know, with that being said, uh, I think it's so important that, uh, that we continue to find ways to help each other through this whole process. And, uh, you know, as I sit here, I start to – I lost track a little bit of what the question was, Coach. What was it again? I was going with it somewhere. What was the question, brother? I said, uh, what is the value of football in oh, our society? Yeah, football, so what the deal is this one I was going to allude to was that um, the uh, – I was at the FCA convention in New Orleans back in – I think it was 2011 when I was in New Orleans, the FCA convention. And uh, I heard a coach speak. And uh, it was actually wasn't a coach. It was a Marine. It was one of the uh, – he wasn't a general. He was like a lieutenant colonel or whatever stuff, but he was there on leadership. And I was in that session and he talked about American football, about how important it is to, to the American fabric. That's why I got into the, the, the deal about America, but it's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely one of the Americana uh, culture experiences is, is football, our, our brand of football. And, uh, and the thing about it is that this, this uh, guy from the Marines said something about that one year they had uh uh, hiring generals from the Russia military came and they, they basically did a, uh, um, they came and they got a chance to go watch football. And one of the generals created a friendship with one of the, the one of the people in the military with, the, with our military branch. And he told them that he didn't ever foresee Russia ever beating America. 
and he and the guy was asked how come and he goes we don't play anything like this we we literally don't have anything like this that teaches you to be tough and uh you know the toughness is probably the thing that i took away from that is that you know football is a game that teaches you a lot of things and sometimes you don't understand what it teaches until you get out in life and uh but i remember that speech and it just just numbed me to a point where you know what there are not a lot of other countries in the world that do what we do you know this is our sport it's our game we've made it ours we own it and uh when other people come and watch it they just go ooh, because you know we, you know for 12 years i went down to australia and jim dostal that's how i met coach dostal was uh was done in australia and, and we took our brand of football down there of course they got rugby league and in rugby union and they got australian rules football and stuff but uh you know, with, with putting the pads on and everything stuff and going on and showcasing our game, they could see we can hit harder and run faster and hit people harder with our pads on than when you don't have them on. And, uh, and so there, it's a unique thing where, you know, other, other countries have, have actually got a chance to exhibit it, see it. And, and, uh, you know, they, they realize that, you know, it's our, it's our sport and it's our game and it's so important that we keep it. I mean, that's why I hear just in the last few weeks where they're talking about some States are looking at canceling, uh, canceling the season uh next year and then there, you see these other states that like ohio and texas are looking at flipping uh because football you know the thing about it, you don't see eight nine thousand people going to watch a basketball game i don't i mean disrespect for any other sport but you can't put eight or nine thousand people in stands if you go to texas you can't put 25 to thirty thousand people in a gymnasium uh you, you just you can't and so football is such a popular sport in our country where it just crushes me if if they decide not to play football in the fall. And I know some of these states are looking at flipping it and to put them in the spring and bringing the spring sports to the fall to save football. And the other thing is like people don't realize it's the revenue. You know, football, I, I know for a fact where I'm at is that our program pays for all the other sports to keep them out of the red and with our gate receipts. And so that is so crucial and so important, especially during these times, the next couple of years are going to be very important. But uh, but it's just so important that we keep football in the docket and and uh, we can you know we keep it and and I hope to God I know the state of Missouri literally guys my my daughter works for a nanny in, in Missouri Kansas City and uh, she got an email from her from her school board and saying something about there's a realistic chance they're going to cancel choir band and, and fall sports for the state of Missouri going into next school year and that's pretty scary so you're hoping that. You know, whether Iowa decides to do that, I hope that they still find a way to salvage our season, maybe put it, do like what Ohio and, and Texas are looking at doing, do it maybe in the spring. You just, you don't know. But it's scary. I mean, it is. It's scary. Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, uh, Jim Dostal, I went down to uh, New Zealand with him. I was on one of those teams that went down to New that. Zealand in 1995. And, and we actually got to meet a rugby team down there you know and we watched a rugby game that was my first impression of rugby and we were blown away with it because of how physical they were and they don't wear pads and we actually talked to some of the players afterwards and they were enamored with us as players because they're like you guys hit way harder because you guys have pads on and so I when you talk about you know football being America's game and people look to America in regards to that I, I wholeheartedly uh, believe that coach and uh, you know I, I think that uh you know, there are a lot of valuable lessons in football, like you mentioned, and I hope whatever whatever happens in, in the fall, like you said, uh, you know, I hope our athletic association does. If they have to get creative, get creative. I agree. I agree 100 yeah. percent. Like I said, it's very important, especially the, you know, for the, you know, the 167 kids that were in our program last year, 9 through 12. Um, like I said, it's very fun to watch and, and seeing you know, when my first year here, we had 80-some kids and we're up to 167. We almost doubled our our, uh, our numbers out for football. Um, I, I just think that the sport impacts so many kids and it, and it prepares them for so many things that you don't realize all the underlying truths that the sport itself offers kids. And, you know, it's, it's stuff that you hear all the time, the toughness and, you know, the mental toughness, physical toughness, the, the discipline, the, you know, the accountability and the teamwork and just the character and, you know, all those things. They all tie into one sport, and football is, is sort of that platform, and, and you just hope that uh, they find a way to salvage it and, and allow us a chance to still find a way to play it. You know, but one of the things that you mentioned, though, that I thought was really, 
really important to hear was at that time when I was playing football, and I'm sure like yourself and Tim, you don't realize those life lessons of that mental toughness and trying to get through adversity or or just even some of the th- other things, toughness, mental toughness, things that you mentioned that football affords for you until, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, yeah. you know, when you're dealing with something that's going on, maybe in your family or your job or school or whatever it may be, then you realize it because you're like, gosh, if I could get through that, because that was one of the toughest things I went through, I can get through anything in life. Yep. I know that one of the things we talk to our kids about too, is we have a thing, we just say, no excuses, get better. You know, there's some things that just happen. You know, we might lose a close ball game or we might get blown out, but when it's all said and done, we're accountable for, you know, our performance and, and, uh, you know, we don't make any excuses. I think that also is a huge uh, lesson that football teaches that you can't make any excuses because, uh, you know, you're under the the guys and the, and the watchmanship of people up in the stands watching you perform and your standard is, is on display every Friday night. And if it means something to you, then you'll find a way to get through it and find a way to get a win. And if not, and if you go out and perform poorly, then that's something you have to answer for, not anybody else. And and uh, I think it's important that, that, you know, those kids are exposed to those kinds of stages in life as well. And I think it's a cool deal. I mean, I've, I've been blessed as a head coach where, uh, you know, I, as a player, I played in front of 50,000, 60,000 people. And as a coach, I've been blessed to coach in front of eight to 9,000 people. You know, uh, and I believe in one of our state championship games, we had 11,000 people. So, you know, it's sort of a cool deal. And the, the thing about it is that, you know, those kinds of people wouldn't come watch the game if it didn't mean something to our country and to their players or to their, to their community or to their sons. Um, you know, it's it just, it's such a huge valuable part of our human culture that I, that I, you know, and especially our American culture that I hope we, you know, maintain and, and find a way to get a season in. Well, one of the things that, you know, great coaches do is continue to grow. And as we wrap up here today, coach, we, we love to hear what our, our guests are reading some of maybe some of the best books they've been impacted by. So we, we'd love your thoughts on that. What are you reading now? And what are some of the books you would, you would recommend to anybody who wants to grow? I will tell you this, the book that I just finished reading, see, I may have already given it away. Here's what I do is I, I find, uh, I find books that I read and if I really love them, I give them to other coaches on my staff. So I've given coach, you know, like coach Dossel would bring me books and I'll give Jim books. Then I give Lathan Bass, my old line coach, books. I've given them to numerous guys on my staff. And then there's some times where Jim and I both will just go buy 12 books, and he'll make sure every one of our assistants uh, has them. And we got our two. So uh, anyway, I'm trying to think if I can find it. I did read a book. It's called No Surrender is the name of it. Uh, anyway, it's called No Surrender. And it's about a gentleman in World War II um, – by the name of Edwards, and, and uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that book. You ever heard of No Surrender? Have you ever heard of it? Anyway, if you get a chance to, you got to read it. Look it up on Amazon and stuff. It's one of the most incredible books. You know, there are some of those books where you just start and you can't put down. It was one of those books. And basically what it was, it was about um, the 101st Airborne. These guys got mm-hmm. basically got shot down or basically got captured behind enemy lines. And they were put in a, a Nazi prison camp, and these guys survived for six and a half months with the, the torture and the torment and what those, uh, you know, what the, the Germans did to them. And it's a true story. And this guy that, that, uh, that basically was the leader behind this whole ordeal and keeping the American prisoners uh, content and helping them through it uh, was an unsung hero. And it took them 30 or 40 years later before they realized how much of an impact he made on the lives of those people. And when he died, his family was given that he was given the purple heart medal of honor, given all kinds of things because he was wounded as well. But what he did, uh, in that prison camp is that, as you know, they were trying to, uh, uh, to eliminate all the, all the Jewish people. And there were a lot of prisoners that were American soldiers that were Jewish and they were trying to get him to give them up. And he was the, uh, uh, the, the officer in charge of, of basically the prison camp because the guy that was in charge for him wound up getting killed and he wound up taking over and he was in charge and, uh, they were trying to get, you know, there's 20, I believe there's 2,700, a little over 2,700 American prisoners in that camp. And they were trying to uh, uh, get him to give up the Jewish people in that, in that, you know, in, in their military, the U.S. soldiers that were Jewish because they were basically shipping them off to another place. And at some point they were going to kill them. And so he refused to give up his fellow soldiers. And, and if you read this book, it's just about human sacrifice and, and the bond that those guys created. And when they went back to the States after the war was over with how those guys all stayed in touch together and it's just an unbelievable touching book. 
and I, and I would love to see it as a story or as a movie. It's sort of like, uh, remember that movie that was out, um, dad gave him a few years ago that Angelina Jolie, she was the director and it was the, the guy that was you know, Louis Zamperini. Yes. That, unbroken. Yeah. Unbroken. It's a lot like unbroken, but a Pacific, instead of the Pacific end of the world war two, it was the European campaign. And, and these, these guys surviving the, uh, you know, the, the, the prison camps in, in Germany and those guys in the bread that they gave them every day was made out of sawdust and other things. I mean, the food that they got, the ways that, that this, uh, uh, this this Edmonds guy come up with ways to, to get them through it and psychologically how he did certain things to help them through it. Uh, guys that were on the verge of breaking down and just to their point where they wanted to die and that he and, you know, he was such a huge influence on people where they found ways to stay alive. And, and a lot of those guys, when they came back, they all gave testimonies that he's the reason they were alive uh, because he kept them going. And that's that just his leadership and, and some of the things they would do and, and the the, uh, the the knowing that he had a gun pointed to his head at numerous times because he refused to give up the Jewish soldiers that were Americans so they could be taken off and basically killed. And and uh, it's just it's just sort of a neat story. So that's the one I, just, I finished reading probably about three weeks ago, guys. And, and I'll be honest with you, if you start it, you don't want to end it. You just want to keep reading it. And it could be a great movie at some point. Now, the one that I just got in, I got it in from, from, uh, um, I got it in from Amazon Italy the day before yesterday. I'm not started yet, but it's called how champions think. I don't know if you mm-hmm. guys heard that book. It's uh, Dr. Bob Rotella. And I've heard of it from other coaches that just said, Hey, it's a good read. It's a quick read. So, you know, it's like 200 pages. And so I said, what the heck? So I bought it, got the paperback version for about seven bucks on Amazon or eight bucks. And, and uh, that's what I'm going to read next. So, you know, the coolest thing is that, uh, you know, you know, I talked about those five L's, you know, Lord live, learn, love and leave a legacy. But learning is a huge facet of that. And you can learn in a lot of ways. And, you know, reading is one of those aspects in life that you should always take advantage of. And, and you know, it's sort of a cool thing. So that's my opinion, brother. Well, that's awesome. Coach Bliss. Uh, we are better today because of the hour or so we spent with you. That is uh, it's just an amazing testimony, not only to your commitment to your players, but to your school, to your family, and your, this this profession, and uh, you giving back to us and so many people who are going to listen to this. Uh, we're just so appreciative to you. And um, th- thanks for the legacy that you're leaving. Wish you all the best of luck at uh, Prairie and uh, hopefully consolidating all those uh, those 401Ks. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Well, guys, God bless you. And thanks for allowing me to be a part of your day. And, and Dwayne and Tim, thanks for everything. And, and I truly appreciate your friendship, man. Okay. Great. Thanks, Coach. Uh, thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. And, I, you know, I uh, love always getting together and seeing you. And, you know, I, I, not everyone knows, but every once in a while we'll exchange texts. And those are, they really uh, do have an impact. And you've had an impact on me, Coach, personally, even though. Yeah, I mean, from afar, just the things that we've talked about. I mean, you've helped me probably more than you ever know. And so God bless you. And I appreciate you. No, thank you. That humbles me. I appreciate it, man. But God bless. Take care, guys. Okay. If you ever. You got it, coach. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today. We are honored that you chose to spend your time with us. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on any platform where you find your favorite podcasts. Let's keep chasing life, leadership, and greatness in all that we do. Have a great rest of your day.